Listen, this is our annual uh, Vulnerable Children Care Sunday. November is uh, nationally known as Adoption Awareness Month. Many, many churches, in fact, hundreds, if not maybe thousands of churches, commemorated what's now being called Stand Sunday last week. Last week was our church birthday. I love that that Sunday, it used to be called Orphan Sunday, um, falls on our church birthday. So we're doing it sort of a week after everyone else. We've been doing this since the start of the church. So for 15 years, we've been doing this. Orphan Sunday, as far as I can tell, the research I've done is 20 years old. So 20 years ago, some churches started doing this, and it's grown into this international movement. There's an incredible picture uh, with an interactive map showing around the world how many churches are commemorating Stand Sunday. And the whole idea of Stand is stand with vulnerable children in your community. So for us, this is a regular part of our rhythm, um, and we're going to keep the kiddos in here with us the whole morning. We've got some fun stuff planned for you. In fact, for the kid in all of us, raise your hand if you like free stuff. Yeah, some of you are like, it depends. Um, people know that we have a lot of kids, so people give us lots of free stuff. We have learned over the years that sometimes free stuff becomes a burden to us. So we say, what is it? And let me look at it first. <laughs> uh, we have some free stuff for you today. It's sitting right over here. Um, and so you guys are going to get to come and participate in this. Now, here's who this tilts towards. Uh, we're going to have some free giveaway things going on. And it tilts towards you extroverts. Extroverts are like, oh, I know the answer to that. I'll try that. I'll come up and pick. Some of you are like, I wouldn't in a million years come and stand in front of a group of people and pick something. This is a little bit like the dentist. Any, any of you still get toys at the dentist? I know my kids do. I pay for it. Um, they're expensive gifts, I promise you. But if you're a good girl or boy at the dentist, you get, a, you get a toy. If you answer questions, or in some cases, if you don't know the answer, you may get something uh, from the, the giveaway pile here. So we're going we're gonna to do that. Um, let me have you open your Bibles to Proverbs 3. And Proverbs 3 was just in my reading plan this week. I read it probably on Monday of this last week. And um, man, it's so set up well and made, got me thinking about this particular Sunday. Proverbs 3 Verses three to four say this, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. What are we to write on the tablet of our heart? Steadfast love and faithfulness. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Skip down to verse 27. Verses 27 and 28 say this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. I start off this morning with Proverbs 3 because of this. I pray that everything said today, we're going to look at some really fun, exciting things going on in our city. We're going to look at some really grim realities in our city. There's going to be some levity to balance some of the weightiness that we're going to talk about this morning. And I pray that we would enter this and think about this with these words we just sang, Jesus, you are my king. You are the sovereign one. Who cares about vulnerable children in our city and around the world way more than you? 
their creator, the one in whose image they're made, who has the power to effect change in their life to whom it is due, the creator, Jesus our king. So I pray that we would actually sort of center ourselves this morning at the very beginning as beloved sons and daughters of God. That written deep into the tablet of our hearts is that nothing we do for others will somehow earn the favor of God. Nothing that we, uh, that we press into and, and start to try and do and, and, and enter it can ever be of any effect in our own power. It's never meant as a, somehow a leveler of bad things we've done. When we come to this as beloved, adopted children of the Most High King, the fact that we can call him king and we will sing to him as father is, is a like, mind-boggling statement that I hope hasn't lost its wonder on you. It's part of what we're doing here this morning. Just to remind ourselves and remember, God is our father. All right. Those weren't even in my notes. Those don't count in my time, Rob. Sorry. Um, how many of you, don't raise your hand, just think about this. How many of you have experienced and come to understand, again, don't show your hand, just, just think about this, that God is a God who loves to over-deliver. God over-delivers. If you don't believe me, um, right now there are giant balls of burning gas above us, right? We can't see them because the sun's out, a single giant burning ball of gas. But tonight, Walk outside and begin to count the number of stars that you can see in your field of view. Once you're done with that, take some binoculars and and use your binoculars and then count again. And then after that, begin to think about the sheer size of the universe that we're told. None of us have been there, so it's an act of faith. But we understand the universe to be really massive. The sheer number of stars in the sky, when it could have been just a much smaller number, How about the number of colors? How many colors are there? Anyone know? How many, Everly? Six. Six. My family rails on me because I don't know the colors of the rainbow in order. That was a, evidently that was a thing in my wife's family growing up. We grew up in a house of all boys. I said, well, can you name every football team in the NFL? She said, of course not. I said, well, that's ridiculous. So we come from different worlds. Uh, I'm here to tell you there's more than six colors right? There are millions of colors. God over delivers in colors. How many species of insects are there? Flowers are there. I mean, God just over delivers in his things. How many plagues did he offer to free people from his people from Egypt? Not one or two, but 10 in, in crazy amount. Uh, how about the leftovers when Jesus feeds the 5,000? Leftovers! <laughs> a little boy's lunch turns into a feast for the multitudes, and there's leftovers. This is the God we serve, the God who um, relishes over-delivering. God promises to do more than we can even think or imagine asking. In pastor's prayer, Rich led us in that passage this last week. That means this, your plans and your prayers are too small. I can fundamentally say that, so are mine. Why? Because God actually promises to deliver even more than we would think of asking. That means church, as a church, our plans are too small. I pray for faith this morning that we could ever be expanding what God is capable of and what he wants to do.
Here's what's also promised to us, is he accomplishes his work through us. Regular, yielded people. The church, the people of God, the sons and daughters of God. That's who he accomplishes his work through. So what does it look like when God's people respond wholeheartedly as one person to a clear command of God? Well, we have a really clear picture of that in Exodus 35. You can turn there if you want. You don't need to. I'm going to put a couple verses on that's just going to kind of highlight it. But in Exodus 35, Moses delivers a message that the Israelites are to bring supplies needed to build a tabernacle. What's the tabernacle for? To sort of house the presence of God and as a place of worship. It is a crystal clear command of God. Moses faithfully delivers the message. Included in this list of things to bring are gifts of gold, silver, and bronze. Maybe part of the community is saying, oh, I'm off the hook. I don't have any of that. That's for the wealthy in the community, the people that, that are stewards of those things. But the list goes on. Yarn and fine linen and goat hair and ram skins, acacia wood and olive oil and spices and incense and other things. It's a really long list. You can read it for yourself. And Moses then commands everyone with skills to chip in and create, build, and do the work. What's the work needed to build the tabernacle? An ark with poles, an atonement cover, a curtain that shielded it, the table lampstand, the lamps, the altar, the curtain of the doorway to the entrance, the bronze basin, the curtains for the courtyard, tent pegs uh, for the tabernacle, and their ropes, and even the wardrobe for those serving, and other things. It's a long list. It's all written down there, and here's what I want you to understand. Moses calls the community, those of you with stuff, bring your stuff. Those of you with skills, bring your skills. Everyone in the community had a role to play. This was going to be a complex, immense, and expensive undertaking. And God had clearly commanded it to the people. So how would the people of God respond to a God that always delivered for them? Well, here's Exodus chapter 35, verse 21. That's not it. But that is. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. Hear me really clearly, church. Everyone brought what they could. Everyone brought what they could. Those with stuff brought stuff, those with skills brought skills. Everyone did their part with what they already had. What's the result? The people acted as one person and showed off the character of God. How? By over-delivering. They mirrored their image maker, their, the, the one whose image they were made of, by over-delivering. Look at Exodus 36 verse 3. It says, the people continued to bring free will offerings, morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing the work on the sanctuary left their work, stopped what they were doing, and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Do you hear it? They over-delivered. 
There's leftovers. So much was coming in. They said, we need to stop working and doing the will of God to to stop the flow. It's actually inhibiting the work. Verse 6, then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they had already had was because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Let me highlight just a couple of things about this. The people continue day after day to bring this offering. Here's what I pray doesn't happen this Sunday. Every week I pray this actually. God, we know that emotional highs and tugs on the heartstrings don't last. We know that just sort of having this emotional thing, I want to give and then forgetting about it after post-church lunch doesn't really last. That doesn't create a movement. That doesn't create what God wants. These people continued day after day. It wasn't a momentary emotional response. Secondly, it was a sacrifice for everyone involved. Do you notice it doesn't say to people, hey, if you don't know how to do anything, go get yourself trained as a craftsman and then come and work. No, it was all the trained craftsmen. They already had it. They already had the training. They just redirected it now to God's specific work. Those of you who've been entrusted with stuff, you thought you had that ram skin for something else. You thought you had that olive oil set aside for something else. It's being redirected into God's work, and the people brought it. And then the fact that more than enough was provided, why? Because everyone did their part. What would happen if an active 10% of the people of Israel did their part? The work of God would not have been accomplished. And certainly the character of God wouldn't be seen in the work. What's the character of God? A God who over-delivers. A God who has plenty. So today we're going to remember God's clear command to care for the vulnerable, specifically children who are in need. And then we're going to be given an opportunity as a church to bring what's already in our hands, skills and stuff. I say remember because it's easy to lose sight of God's clear will. All right, you guys ready for a giveaway? Say yes. Yeah, Yeah, good. All right. Um, Let me just tell you, by the way, we have a clean canteen. We have some Foster the Bay gear, which is really funny because we're now Foster the City. So our Foster the Bay gear now can be sold on eBay for high quantities of amount. It's like collector's items. Um, So we have some journals here. We have some stickers. We have a little tote bag. We have a t-shirt from Foster the City um, and a couple of books for those of you who are readers. Okay. So let me do my first one. Um, Some of these are going to be like really easy lob balls, like in softball, where John, it's right over the plate. You're just like, boom, that's easy. Here it is. Ready? I think this is an easy one. Who said, and by raise of hands, by the way, don't come and tackle me. Who said, I will not leave you as orphans? Jeff. Jesus. Get up here, Jeff. Give it up for Jeff. Jeff was a good boy at the dentist. He gets to take a pick of something up here. Now, to complete that, there's a second one. Who can finish that sentence? I will not leave you as orphans. This is found in the Gospel of John. I will not leave you as orphans. There's a few more words that complete the sentence. Anyone know what the completed sentence of that is? By the way, one of our elders beat Jeff to it, but I'm deferring away from the elder to (laughs) someone else. (laughs) Huh? Jeff, you're fine. Okay, um, okay anyone, anyone able to complete that sentence? I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. 
Anyone? Even if it's close, it's a lot of pressure. If you're an introvert, whisper it to your extrovert neighbor. Okay, I'll help you out. I will not leave you as orphans. I will. What is it? No. <laughs> yeah, open book. I will come to you. Sharon Adam, come and pick something here. By the way, if you have these books, if you don't want them, Sharon, you're an extrovert. You get to be up here. You, don't, you were good at the dentist. Go pick something out. If you don't want it, you give it to, you give it to someone else. That's right. These are open Bible, uh, Bible tests. I will, listen to Jesus' words. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Understanding being left as an orphan is a bad thing. Coming to orphans in their distress is a good thing. Coming to orphans in their distress is Jesus-like. All right, let me give you one more. This is wildly easy, which ought to clue you in to expand your view of the answer of what you might be thinking. Who can think of a Bible verse, even if you don't get it word perfect, who can think of a Bible verse that has to do with caring for orphans or foster children? And you can open your Bible and look if you want. Gria, go. Absolutely. Come up here, Gria. Pick something out. Listen. What Gria just said, here's what people often think. They're like, oh, it's that verse in James. Pure and undefiled religion. Pure and undefiled religion is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world. People think of that verse. That's a really good one. How about in Psalm? God sets the lonely in families. A sticker. (laughs) He went light. He left some of the good stuff. Um, But how about this? Love your neighbor as yourself. Church, isn't isn't that a clear command? Isn't that a wide open verse in scripture? I'm telling you, if you read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and I hope you do, with a lens toward, God, how might I be involved in caring for the most vulnerable around me? The Bible is wide open, verse after verse after verse. Psalm, I mean, Proverbs 3, I just told you it this morning. Don't withhold good to your neighbor when it's in your power to do it. City Team is a Christian nonprofit organization that seeks to restore lives and rebuild communities. Last Saturday, we showed up early in the morning. It wasn't that early. It was early for me. Our job was to line up next to giant pallet fulls of food and place boxes into backs of people's cars as they drove through. City Team has had to adapt the way they have been doing this program due to COVID to make it as low contact as possible. They have also had to increase the amount of food that they distribute to meet the increased need. We worked efficiently so that each line could serve two different types of cars at the same time. But there was a little bit of competition who could put the food in the cars fastest. My team definitely won. So do not ask Tegan or Abby their side of the story, please. (laughs) From 9 a.m. to noon, we served a steady stream of cars. And a bunch of those cars were picking up food for several minutes. I bet each line served about 50 cars, and we distributed meals up to about 200 families. At Neighborhood Bible Church, one of our central values is share. 
We believe that what we have is not ours, but that we are caretakers of what God has given us. That includes our finances, our time, our talents, which God wants us to use for the good of others. I was really excited for the opportunity to, and it was a lot of fun too. And I'm looking forward to future opportunities to share God's love and my time with others. Good job, you guys. Man, that was fun to see. And uh, man, that just prompts me to want to ask Tegan and Abby their side of the story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, one of the things I do in, in interest meetings, which um, are just ways that I help foster the city, kind of get word out about, about how to be involved in this whole world of foster care, is I like to use, uh, I like to clarify definitions. Uh, we have another giveaway right now, okay? Here's, here's the giveaway. The giveaway is this. Um, who would be bold enough? We just sang a song of praying for courage. Who would be bold enough to raise their hand and say, I could not give you a clear definition of what a technical orphan is versus a foster child? Who, who would raise their hand and say, I don't technically know the difference of that? And if you all keep your hand on, I may quiz you and put you on the spot and say, okay, define it for us. So orphan, foster child. Do you know the technical difference of those two? If you do not, raise your hand. Okay, Jake, get up here. Debbie, get up here and pick something. I would recommend one of the books because you might learn something or one of the journals where you can write the definition that I'm about to give you, okay? Take something from the front. Um, thank you, for, thank you for, your, for your humility in, in uh, ad- admitting that. Um, by the way, there's some really good stuff. Don't take a sticker for Pete's sake. We have the kindest church. That, that is amazing. Um, we actually have a second one for second hour, so don't feel bad about second hour. The first shall be last and all that. Just take what's on your heart. It's, it's here for you. Um, let me give you a definition. An orphan, a true technical orphan, is one who has lost both of their parents due to death or abandonment. So that is someone who is left alone in this world without, without biological parents. A foster child is someone who is in, the, in, in our system um, due to uh, neglect or abandonment or abuse, uh, those kinds of things. It is possible for an, a technical orphan to be in our foster system. Do you see that? Um, but they aren't one and the same. And people often wonder, like, what, what is the difference of that? So when we read a scripture that says, care for orphans, visit them in their distress, uh, foster care in the U.S., is our orphanages. We don't have separate things called orphanages. Often people think, oh, there's orphanages um, off in other parts of the world somewhere, but the U.S. doesn't have that. That's not true. As I watched the Parade of Nations this last summer, I thought, wow, isn't it fascinating that every single country walking into that stadium has an orphan crisis in their country? Every one of them. And then we see the, the rankings and the medal counts and who's on first and who's getting the most medals. I thought, what would it look like if we had the sheer number, the statistics of kids in country, in each of these countries, they all exist, that don't have parents caring for them and may or may not have the state, the government, the churches caring for them. Those numbers all exist. I'll tell you who knows those numbers. God does. And every single one of those numbers is an image bearer, and every single one of those image bearers matters infinitely to God. God. 
Let me tell you about Noel Aniah. He was just a year old when he and his five brothers and sisters were placed in California foster care system. He spent nearly all of his life in that system and has just turned 21. This article is about a year and a half old, I think. He has spent nearly all his life in that system. He just turned 21. In California, that's the age when people in foster care age out of the system and lose the benefits that the system provides. That system becomes, or that process becomes official at a final court hearing. Anaya, along with Youth Radio, got rare permission to record the proceeding where he read a letter that he wrote about his experience in the foster care system. Walking into the courtroom for the very last time as a foster youth, I feel like I'm getting a divorce from a system that I've been in a relationship almost my entire life. It's bittersweet because I'm losing guaranteed stipends for food and housing, as well as access to my social workers and my lawyer. But on the other hand, I'm relieved to finally get away from a system that ultimately failed me on its biggest promise. That one day, it would find me a family who would love me. He says this, little things like when Judge Shauna Schwartz mispronounces my name, serve as a constant reminder that I'm just a number. I often come away feeling powerless and anonymous in the foster care system. When he stand up to read his letter, here's what he wrote. To whom it may concern, this is the year that I divorce you. Your gray hands can no longer hurt me. Your gray hands can never overpower me. Your gray hands can never tell me that you love me because it's too late. I use gray hands to describe the foster care system because I never felt warm, because it never felt warm or human. It's institutional. Opposite, the sort of unconditional love I imagine that parents try to show to their kids. In an ideal world, being a foster kid is supposed to be temporary. When it's stable and appropriate, The preference is to reunite kids with their parents or family members. Adoption is the next best option. I used to dream of it, he writes, having a mom and dad. Siblings to play with, a dog. But when I hit 12, I realized I was getting old. That adoption would probably never happen for me. He goes on to say more in the letter, but he turns to the judge. He says, can you do the gavel thing? And she goes, we don't really do that in real life. He goes, please, would you do it for me? She said, sure, for you, I'll do it. And so she slams the gavel down at his hearing. And in the article, he said this, I felt goosebumps when the gavel slapped down on my judge's desk, happy because I'm no longer cared for by a system that was never that good at actually caring for me. 
Church, Noel is a child, now adult, in our community. And this isn't exceptional, and this isn't isolated. This is regular and ongoing. On a Sunday morning with traffic, there's no traffic in the Bay Area on Sunday morning, sadly. I dream of a day that's true. You can get your car right from here, go 10 minutes down the freeway. That's where these court proceedings take place. Church, we are called to a life of love. And love never fails. Love never fails. It always protects. It always hopes. It always perseveres. The Bible describes love. We're not clueless on that. Jesus models love to us. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to love. And yet here we are this morning pondering some really grim realities and some tearful stories. Why? Because while love never fails, we fail to love. In big ways and in small ways, the community in general and Christians in specific fail to love. Unless you think I'm preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. In big and small ways, Dave fails to love. When we look at the numbers, and you have these on a little card in front of you, so I won't go over them, but the numbers paint a horrible picture of those who age out of the foster care system like Noel. Every single day, they disembark this institution called foster care. And let me just give you a couple of lowlights. One and two will become addicted to drugs or alcohol. Is that a problem in our society causing bigger problems in our society? You bet. 33% will be homeless. Is that a problem in our city, church? Here's the one that gets me the most. Consider this fact, that prison or being sex trafficked are statistically more probable by far than education or employment. That is stunning and shocking. We celebrate, validate, champion, and pray for all the ministries that are caring for all of these social ills that are sort of downstream. I'll tell you what got us as a church and me personally still so motivated about Foster the City is it's a ministry that goes upstream and says, what would it look like to change a child's story at one years old when Noel enters the foster care system? Church, what would it look like when we give ourselves, give our families to a child? I'll tell you a part of what it would look like. The wisdom that was just dropped on you by those kids is profound. You can go to YouTube right now and rewatch that video. I love that they are embodying one of the values that foster the city, which is this. We are honest and hopeful. We're not dishonest about the very difficult thing the supernatural love required to be a foster family. It's really hard. Don't you love that kid? It's hard to share my stuff. In case you didn't hear it the first time, let me say it again. It's hard to share my stuff. That includes my parents. That includes my schedule. All these different things. So love never fails, but we fail to love. 
What if, what if we hold these two truths in intention, that everyone deserves love? Remember Proverbs 3 that we just read. Don't withhold good to those whom it is due. What if we took the time to, if I grabbed Guapo here, I like your name tag, Eli. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, if I grabbed Guapo here and said, does Guapo deserve love? Does he deserve to have an advocate for his education? Does he deserve to have good health care? Does Guapo deserve to be prayed with and tucked in at night? Does he deserve to be taught about a loving, holy, all-powerful God? Absolutely to all of that. Look at every single child you see in the U.S. Here's the numbers. The number worldwide of orphans is double the number of children in the U.S. So for the next week, every child you see, imagine two children who don't have what I just described for, for Guapo here. Do they deserve it? Absolutely. No less than my children. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. I don't even care your faith system. People come and they understand children deserve that. It is their due. Jason Johnson has this great quote. He says, failure in foster care is not defined by our ability, by our inability to love a child perfectly, but by our failure to show up and love a child perfectly at all. A part of our foster journey was this. The first country we looked at was the Republic of Georgia, former Russian state. Do you know what the numbers were reported of a mortality rate in the orphanages of Georgia at the time? 50%. One in two are dying in an orphanage? As we dug into that little bit, those on the ground said, oh, that's just the number they give to the international community. It's actually closer to 70%. So whatever fear and trepidation Becky and I had as parents, we said, we're going to fail this child in loads of ways because we're very imperfect people. But it's better than them dying in an orphanage in some Eastern Bloc country. So it moved us to step forward into that. The title this morning is really... um, It's really a local title. It's for us specifically. You see these stickers on the back of cars. I like this one. It's kind of fun. It's the the, the flip-flops. Still room for one more. I'm going to get to why I called it that this morning in just a second, but let me just balance some of the weightiness I just gave you with some really good things. There are amazing things happening in your city, church. Amazing Do you know that 400 children have been placed in Foster the Bay slash Foster the City families in the last six years? Something that didn't exist six years ago, something that this church has invested in for its its entirety in various ways. Mike, I see you. Mike, by the way, I think in the early days went to more meetings than I did for Foster the Bay. I kept showing up, Mike would be there. And 400 stories have been changed. Some of those have led to adoption. Some of those led to glorious reunification. Some are continuing to be really, really hard stories, but they have ties to a Christian family. I met with Ron two weeks ago. Ron's a church planter. Do you know what he wants to do? He wants to begin a partnership with Foster the City before his first public service as a church planter. I said, Ron, I've never, in all the churches I've met with, We have a couple hundred now in our coalition. I've never heard of a church plant that wants to embed this in the DNA of their church. So he sent, later on, he sent me this news article or this little news thing that he's giving out to potential uh, core team of his church plant. Foster City's embedded right into it. That was two weeks ago. 
Yesterday, I'm at Crossroads Bible Church meeting with a church called Grace South Bay that meets there. We're doing an interest meeting. A woman shows up. She was in the foster care system. She showed up and was asking in-depth questions about becoming a foster parent. She has two biological children, and she wants to do um, for someone else, frankly, what wasn't done to her. Her story is more like, like, like Noel's. Her and her husband are Christians. They're motivated by a completely different worldview. They understand it's going to require supernatural fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, to welcome in a child that has a lot of trauma in their background. And you know what? She's writing notes diligently, and she's going to a launch meeting November 30th to take the next step to begin to get approved by the government to become a foster mom. After that meeting yesterday morning, we went to a friend's house. You know what the friends are? They are kinship placement for a family. Anyone know what that means? Here's another giveaway. I can feel it. What does a kinship placement mean? Anyone know? I see a mom tapping her shoulder. Go for it, Catherine. That's right. So it could be legal guardianship. It could, be, it could lead to adoption, but it could just be, um, you know, it's basically family. Catherine, come up here and take something. Take one of the cool things, please. I, we, we, we need to get rid of this. Give it up for Catherine. I was able to just grab, grab the mom. These are, these are uh, the mom and dad were in our youth group together at Los Gatos Christian way back in the day. Um, and what's that? I don't. I just need you to, there you go. Look at you. I love it. Oh yeah, I could, I could have, gosh, Catherine, thank you. Um, I was able to pull the mom aside yesterday before we left the barbecue, and I just said, man, what you're doing, uh, God's, God's plan A is the nuclear family to stay intact, right? When that begins to disintegrate, you know where the next safety net is? It's family. It's extended family. I said, what you're doing to not let this child ever even taste the system, the government's terrible at raising children, amen? This child will never taste this institutional gray hands. He'll never have to divorce the system because of what you guys are doing. She just looks at me. She goes, yeah, I thought we were done. Their oldest bio kid, I'm not even sure how how old, but kind of similar pace as Becky and I. And here they have a little little guy younger than than our two. That's, That's kinship placement. In a couple of months, February, I'm going to preach in Santa Cruz, like I get to do a lot of places, of a church that is, um, had some seeds planted years ago, and now is just, the harvest is bursting through like you would not believe. When we first talked about Foster the Bay here, do you guys remember it? Four families stepped forward to become foster families. We already had many fostering and adopting and, and kinship sort of placements. It revolutionized the mission. It was very, very clear. It's Exodus 35 kinds of stuff. Hey, if you have stuff, bring it. If you have skills, bring it. We need to wrap these families with support. Every single one of those four families went on to take placements, even multiple placements. Some have led to adoption. Some of them are still here due to people moving the Bay Area. Several of them are not here. This church in Santa Cruz is starting to have that go on as well. Look at the verse on the screen, Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You want to know God's will? Here it is. Go do good. Go share what you have. Grace, I love how you articulated share. God puts us in relationship with himself. That's called worship. He doesn't leave us alone. He puts us in a family. That's called community. But worship and community are not just supposed to ping pong back and forth. They have a point. What's the point? Share. Share the good news of the gospel. Share your life. Share your stuff. 
That's room for one more. I love how NIV translates it. It says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. Not just don't neglect it. Don't forget. Why? Because we, we, we do forget. Part of here is just reminding one another. And part of spurring us to the future is looking back and remembering some of the stories. Let me just say for those of you who are relatively new, NBC has a rich history of caring for vulnerable children. In fact, of the two great storylines going on at NBC, when someone asks about our church, what's distinct about your church? I say God has written two things into, into the, the journey of Neighborhood Bible Church. And there wasn't a man or woman who dreamt it up. It was God who instilled it in us. The first is, in an extreme way, caring for vulnerable children. For 15 years, this has just been wired into us, and many, many lives are changed because of it. And secondly, God is taking um, people who speak uh, English and people who speak Spanish and forming a family out of them in a powerful, unique way. You don't know the, the two most unique things about NBC that are going on? Did we just lose me? Okay. I'm lost. Pray for your lost pastor. There he is. He's back. He's been found. Um, so let me just go on a little, a little quiz. Here'll be another giveaway. Who remembers the color of the rose van that brought many, many foster kids to this church? <laughs> Nancy. Brown. Brown. That's right. Get up here. Um, she gets to do it. As an added bonus, who knows the make and model of the van? I know that because I know big vans. <laughs> All right. It was a Chevy. All right. Let's move on. Um, Ten years ago this year, um, NBC was a part of something really, really profound. I had called World Vision, asked them to send us some sponsorship kits. They said, okay, percentage-wise, about 10% of your people will sponsor a child. These are monthly sponsorships, right? $35 a month, and it sponsors a child in some part of the world. We were about to adopt from Ethiopia. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if we did a block sponsorship, meaning we took one county, one neighborhood in Ethiopia, and we all sponsored from that one region. She said, plan on 10% of your church doing it. I said, okay, we have a, an incredible uh, church. We're going to do 25%. So I think we got somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, I don't know, 30 cards or, or 35 cards or something like that at the time. And some of you were here for this. We strung these up and we sort of hung them up. And I remember I was leading worship, but I closed my eyes. We were singing, and we, and we invited the church. We said, hey, come and take one of these. And if you're taking one of these, you are committing to praying for that child and writing a check for that child and sponsoring that child. I remember after one song, I opened my eyes. All the cards were gone, every last one of them. So I called World Vision. They sent us some more. In short, we had 44 of you that sponsored people from the Gawata region of Ethiopia. What's so profound about that is um, I had the chance to go and meet the people on the other end of our checks, the other end of our packages, the other end, other end of our little gifts. I showed up at World Vision. I told our translator, can you go take me to World Vision? Where's that? He goes, I know where that is. Drives there. I show up with no appointment, not much uh, Amharic to my name. That's the language they speak. Somehow I got in. I got to meet these people. And through a translator, they told us, without the United States, this work doesn't go on. We benefit from Australia, we benefit from England, we benefit from other countries. But this work, this community does not change without the United States involvement, the sheer generosity. I was treated like royalty. So I just got to thank the people that were doing this. I thought this was really cool too. This is the little cubby that points our packages to Gawata. 
So lest you're cynical about what the ministry is, this changes lives. You want to know a next step? You don't want to know part of why people ended up fostering and adopting? They started with a world vision. Not being engaged in children from Ethiopia to being engaged with children from Ethiopia. All of a sudden, there's a name and a, and a face to it and an update that kind of shows up year after year to us. Some of you remember that one year for Vulnerable Children Care Sunday, we moved all this stuff away because we had seven families all sitting in chairs up on this stage. Every single one of those families was what I would call mid-faith leap. They were in the process of adopting. They were in the midst of trying to get approved for foster care. There was no safe, happy landing. There was just a lot of unknown. And we spent the entire Sunday just hearing an update from them and praying over them. Some of our foster the pay teammates love this quote from this guy. And I said, that guy didn't come up with that. Daryl Monzo came up with that years ago. He said this. He said, our motive for fostering which led to an adoption, was not to get a child for our family, but to give our family to a child. Isn't that a great reframe? It's not like, hey, we, we, we want a child. How can we pursue that? It's what child can we give our family to? And that's the very heart of God. Each year, we would pray around this church, God, we are open to, we are reminding ourselves, we are saying out loud to one another, there is room for one more here. For a season, we didn't pray for one more. You know why? We had our, we were filled to the brim. We were just trying to support well these families who were mid-jump. I'll tell you the season we're in right now in BC, the season we're in right now is, is I am praying, God, would you raise up one more? And when I say there's room for one more, here's what I mean by that. It means we'll make room because it's worth it, by the way. Most of us just don't have room. We choose to make room. Room in our cars, room in our homes, room in our hearts and lives, room in our schedules, room in our budgets, room in our hobbies. Often it means less hobbies. For one more precious image bearer to take up residence with us. And talk about it taking a village to raise a child. One of the great gospel tracts I have is my family. When I go around, I get to brag on an almighty, all-powerful God as to why we live the way that we live. We are like rainbow, rainbow unicorns in the Silicon Valley. If you have more than five kids, Greed gets us all the time. You have five kids? What's wrong with you? And we get to show off that God has put us in a community that in extravagant ways cares for us and loves us and is with us. So today, the idea of saying there's still room for one more is a call to perseverance. Do not lose heart in doing good. Remember to do good and share. Why? Because we forget. We can get stagnant. Just so you know how things are structured here, we have a vulnerable children care ministry. In fact, we have two more components of this that we're not going to look at today. We're just looking at sort of adoption and foster today, and we're going to look in January at... Um, at serving the unborn, and at something called hope for the journey, which is training to understand how to minister well to kids who have trauma in their background. And Phil and Mindy Nemec have uh, been our directors sort of over that ministry now for a couple of years. We had to broaden it beyond Orphan Care Sunday because of what was going on at this church. 
When I talk about making room in an already busy family and life, it can seem impossible. In fact, maybe this is the stick figure you would put on your car, um, and you go, how on earth could we, could we add something? This is how we feel. This is our Silicon Valley life. Well, here's what we know. Here's another sticker I found. Families fall apart, don't they? The ideal cute little sticker family sometimes uh, leaves openings and has problems to it and has fractures to it. And when families fall apart, children become vulnerable. Always. When governments fall apart, the most vulnerable in the community are the children. And every family that's supported before kids enter this system is a win in God's economy. Uh, let me move very quickly to this. How can I get involved? What are some very specific, tangible things uh, of ways I can, get, can, I can get involved? I was at an all-night party one time, and one of the kids, we had 100 junior high kids that I was in charge of. I had a microphone in my hand when all of a sudden a kid falls right over here in my front left, screaming in pain. Pop quiz, if a hundred junior hires hear screaming, do they calm down or ramp up? I was like, Lord, help me. I need to figure out what to do. And in my mind, I thought what everyone else in the room was thinking, we have to do something. I had no idea what it was yet. There was one person in the room who thought something fundamentally different. Watch the screen. He said, I have something to do. His name is Chris Shelley. Some of you know Chris. Chris was one of my volunteer youth leaders. Chris happens to be uh, an EMT with the fire department. Chris came forward, looked at me, said, I got this, began to stabilize him, actually formed a splint out of a pizza box. One of the coolest things I've seen him do, and I've seen him do a lot of cool things. And he handled it. We have to do something. It's such a paralyzing kind of a thing. You hear a story like Knowles, you, you see the statistics, you see what's happening, and, and again, our, it's, it's kids in our community screaming in pain. We have to do something, but it paralyzes us. We don't know what it is. What if today were to tell you, inform you, what your something to do is? Because I have something to do is totally different. It's super empowering. Chris knew his something to do, and it changed everything. Today's vet, or this week was Veterans Day. Uh, we celebrated on Thursday, um, and just want to say and honor and celebrate those of you who have served, who have family members, or, or know people who are serving. A part of Veterans Day is remembering those who um, who, have, who have paid prices for us to do what we're doing right here: freedoms to meet and worship and be together. I want you to think about the start of World War II. Most of you weren't there, but you've read about it. At the start of World War II. Uh, what, what went on with that was um, everyone shifted roles, whether you were on the front lines or back home. Everyone shifted roles, uh, and everyone had a clear sense that they had some role to play in this. So a person who used to do or make this began to do or make this in the war effort. Does that sound familiar, that language? So it's not that they suddenly had different giftings, but those giftings were redirected. Their roles may be changed. Here's what I would put out to you today, church. What roles do you already have? What skills and stuff do you already have 
that maybe needs to be redirected to this war on loneliness, this war on rejection, this war on instability, this war on injustice, this war on the fact that kids to whom it is due is is not having their due. Uh, We had a young couple named Cody and Courtney Gerard. Many of you remember them. They're back in Denver, uh, Colorado area. And I remember showing up to a Foster Day interest meeting at some part in the, in, the, in the county, and it was a Tuesday night probably, and I was there, and I see them doing child care. I had no idea they were doing it. Cody worked for Lockheed, and Courtney was a teacher. I said, hey, what are you guys doing here? Like, oh, we're just watching kids. I'm like, awesome, thank you. They're watching kids so that people who want to learn more about foster care can, can do so and have their kids well cared for. And I asked them, I said, why'd you guys do this? They said, our church is driving towards this goal, towards this work, and we're part of our church, and we love our church. So we took what we could do and do it. We're not going to foster. We don't feel called to foster or adopt, but we knew we were supposed to do something. Don't you love that? That's just the war effort. That's, hey, our whole church is doing this. What's my part? And their part was on a Tuesday night. I promise you, they had to make room for this in their schedules. Let me get some really specific things down for you, okay? Some of you are young and able-bodied and crazy enough to go to a Spartan race. Do you know that Foster the City has a Spartan race at Oracle Park where the Giants play in December? There's still time to sign up with three of your buddies and go beat your body up and raise money to keep Foster the City going. I love that Foster City doesn't take a dime from the government. We're not in contract with the government. We are gospel-centered and gospel-motivated. We say whatever we want. We actually don't need the government. We celebrate our partnership with them, but we don't need them to operate in the ways that we do. Some of you make tons of money. Keep making tons of money and redirect it to help us keep launching. Some of you know this, but we changed our name from Foster the Bay after all 10 counties of the Bay Area now are Foster the Bay counties, and we expanded to Orange County, and just last month we expanded to Nevada, Reno, Nevada. So we knew at some point we'd change the name from Foster the Bay, because Foster the Bay doesn't make any sense in Reno, Nevada. So we're now Foster the City. What's exciting on the, in the months ahead, we're already looking at other places. God, how would you have us continue to expand the reach and the work? Those things take funds. Most people are volunteer, but some are staff. Another thing that you can do, church, and, and uh, Rob, why don't you, actually, Rob, we're going to skip this first week, or this first service. Um, band, why don't you come on up? Uh, one of the things that NBC is in a unique season for is, again, we are praying open-handed, God, would you entrust us with another foster family? If you want to take steps to become a foster family, come to an interest meeting. That's the first and easiest step to kind of learn more about what that's about. Um, we have kinship placements in this church. As a way of loving them, we, we keep things, we celebrate keeping people's stories, their own story. But the bottom line with that is we need support friends. You heard those kids talking about what support friends do. Yes, they come over and mow your lawn. Yes, they pray for you. Yes, they send you texts. But they also bring the kids smoothies. That's an awesome thing. We had one foster the city teammate who um, they, were, they were fostering and they, they, their, their biological children said, Man, the foster kid gets this social worker who comes by uh, all the time, and they get to do all this fun stuff. Well, you don't really do fun stuff. 
your meeting and the foster work, the social workers checking in. But one of the support friends said, I'll be your, I'll be your social worker. So the support friend came to the bio kid and took him out mini golfing and went to Slurpees and just did these different things so that the bio kid could have his own social worker. I love the creativity of that. There's all kinds of ways to wrap families. My wife, Becky, hates being up front, but she likes being put on the spot. So just raise your hand, Becky. Um, Becky, yesterday, about two days ago, spent 45 minutes with someone from the county about refugee foster care. We were looking to that for our own family. Um, she has loads of answers for that. Some of you understand what's going on in Afghanistan and the wave of refugees that are, that are already here in detention centers waiting for a family. I'll just, t- I'll just spoil the ending for you. Most of them are 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and they need a family. They're not adoptable. They need a family to see them through high school. So that's an opportunity that's sitting right in front of us as well. Um, listen, church, uh, Van, can we close with, with one song? And, um, and uh, let, me, let me just pray. God, there's a lot. The Bible's a big book, and you're a big God, and there's a big need. And God, we just put all this before you um, and ask God that you would stir in us, whether it be a formal role like a support friend or a foster family or an advocate at a church, whether it be something tangible like bringing our stuff God, we've, we've seen the church rally and gift cars to people who are adopting and fostering, recognizing the family budget must be under tremendous strain. God, I pray for those who might be in our midst who are hearing the needs and just don't know what their role is, but they know they want to step into something. God, I pray that in big and small ways, you would continue to stir in our midst and give us our something. God, I pray we'd have a sense that all of us have some part to play in this. And I pray, God, it would always come back to and be motivated from our great adopting father, you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.